Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, there are definitely some advantages of being a child, like you don't have to worry about uh, paying rent or making sure your utility bills are paid. Uh, You don't have to worry about being fired. You don't have to worry about taking care of other people. So there's some advantages of being a child, but there's some definite disadvantages. And there's some parts of childhood that I definitely don't miss. And the thing that I don't miss about childhood is the fact that you don't really have a lot of choices. Like, you don't have a choice of where you live. You don't have a choice of which room you get. You don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose what you do during the day. The government mandates that you're going to go to school. Often don't get to choose which school you go to. Uh, At least in the younger grades, you don't get to choose which subjects you study. Uh, I went to a private school when I was growing up, and I didn't even get to choose what clothes I wear. I had to wear a dress code. You don't get to choose what you do for lunch. You can't choose to go out to McDonald's or Franco's. Sometimes the choice is like you, it's a ham sandwich or a tuna sandwich. You know, or maybe you get lunch from school and there's like one option that you get to choose. Your parents tell you you have to eat your veggies before you eat your dessert. You really have very little choice, very little amount of choice when you're a child. And when you're a child, you might ask your parents, so why do I have to do this? Or why can't I do this? And then you get the dreaded answer, because I said so. Simply the nature of childhood that children don't have that many choices because as children, children would make terrible choices. They would probably choose to eat ice cream or dessert for every meal. They might choose to play on the playground every day instead of going to school. And so God has ordained that parents would make the decision, so to speak, for children. But imagine another situation. Imagine that you, as an adult, and imagine that your parents are still alive if they're not still alive, but imagine that they treated you just like you treat a child. Now, you might be thinking, well, they do treat me like they they treat me like a child. That's not what I'm talking about. Literally, what if they treated you like you treat a child? You still live with your parents. You can't leave. They threaten you each time you try to leave. They tell you which job you should take and how long you should be at that job. They tell you when you need to get up in the morning and they set a curfew for you that you have to go to bed at a certain time. They decide which friends you will associate with and if you want to hang out with someone, you have to ask permission to do so. Each day, your mom packs your lunch. You have two choices, ham and tuna fish. Each week, you're given an allowance from your paycheck. 
money that you're allowed to spend. But even of that money, you're kind of guided on things that you should buy and shouldn't buy. Now, if that were the case, that would be a pretty messed up situation. It'd be a lot like slavery. To have somebody in authority over you where you don't have choices that you have to follow what somebody else has to do. They're governing your life. But we don't have that issue in regard to children. In regard to children, it's perfectly appropriate and even necessary that they have somebody over them. But for adults, it's just silly to even think about such a situation. In this passage we're looking at today, Paul says that the heir, as long as he is a child, is treated the same as a slave is treated. If someone has no authority over their life, then they're either children or they're slaves. So Paul tells the Galatians not to mistake their childhood for slavery. Just because you were a child, Israel was a child and was under the law, don't mistake that for the fact that you're slaves and have to live as slaves. Now, Paul says that the law is a guardian or a tutor. We talked about that a little bit last week, how the guardian points out our sin. It shows us our sin, shows us our need for Christ, and how the tutor or the guardian was often a slave, and he was uh, put in charge of a child by a, a family, and this tutor would teach the child, and he would also keep the child in line, make sure that he uh, just did all the natural social graces, that he didn't do anything inappropriate. So he kind of kept them in check. And in a similar way, the law kind of kept Israel in check. And so we see in the law in the Old Testament that there's very, very specific commands for Israel. These are not just moral commands. There's some moral commands like You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. But then there's some very specific commands, even going down to how Israel deals with agriculture and how they plant seeds. Look, for example, at Leviticus 19.19. It says, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. And so there's very specific commands for Israel because Israel clearly was not capable of its own of her own moral reasoning. Every time that she went on her own, she went astray from God. Paul says that when we were children, we were under the elementary principles of the world. This phrase elementary principles could also be translated as essential principles and so what Paul may be saying here is that previously you were under kind of the essential principles. Previously, you were under kind of the bare minimums of what God was required. And so God had to give you specific commands for every situation that you might find yourself in, whether it was planting crops or dealing with agriculture. No matter what it was, God had to give you a specific command because you couldn't do it yourself. You couldn't figure out that you didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you keep the law and know what God wanted. But even that law that God gave wasn't the end. Of course, it was possible to keep the law, to keep the external rule of law, and yet break the law in our own hearts. It was possible for Israel to keep the law not to murder, but be filled with anger. Not to commit adultery, but be filled with lust. Not to steal, but be filled with covetousness. So the law, it's kind of restrained Israel in a sense as a nation, but it ultimately pointed them to their need for a savior. 
Yet Paul says, with the coming of Christ, Israel has grown up, so to speak. She's no longer a child. She's no longer a slave nor treated like a slave. And to continue under the law, Paul says, would be to continue under slavery to become slaves. Paul says that at the right time, God sent his son who was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he says that for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we've been adopted into God's family. Now, adoption in the ancient world, it wasn't done a lot in Judaism, but in the Greco-Roman world, what would often happen was a wealthy person would adopt a child if they didn't have a son, and this child might be an adult child, and this uh, wealthy person would adopt him so that that person would receive the inheritance. And likewise, in a similar way, God adopts us into his family so that we might receive the inheritance. And the inheritance is eternal life and a relationship with God. So as believers, Paul says, we've come to age, as come of age, so to speak, and we're part of God's family. And so with the coming of Christ for Paul, accepting the gospel means accepting a place in God's family. Accepting the gospel means accepting a place in God's family. Now, just think about that for a moment. Now, God has always existed in a community of three persons, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from all eternity past. You might call that community a family. It's a family that's different than any other family we've ever experienced. And it's a family that God invites us into. None of us have perfect families. Some of us have better families than others. But imagine the perfect family. Imagine a family that each time you enter the doors of the house, all you experience is love and grace. Imagine a family where there are no disagreements, where everyone knows that the father knows best and that he'll provide for his children. Imagine a family where everyone has his or her place. Each person has a role, a job to fulfill. Each person is valuable. Imagine a family that impacts the world and produces things that are good. Imagine a family where everyone is loved sincerely, deeply, and equally. Imagine a family that whenever you're with them, you feel completely at home. That's the kind of family that God invites us into. To be his children, to be his sons, to be his daughters. And he invites us into that love relationship with our heavenly brother, so to speak, Jesus who left his throne in heaven, who went out to find the one lost sheep, who gave himself to bring us back to the Father. The Father who loved us and before the foundation of the world set in forth a, a plan that through which we would be redeemed and saved. The Holy Spirit who applies the work of Jesus to our lives, who is referred to in the scriptures as a counselor or a teacher who comforts, encourages, and convicts our hearts. It's a family where everyone is equal. Paul says that if we're in Christ, we're all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. If we're believers, we're all part of one family, the family of God. Let's not just gloss over that. We talk about being children of God as if it's something commonplace or ordinary. But it's amazing truth that we get to share a relationship with the Son of God. 
with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. To be invited into that dance of the Trinity. That community, that family that's always existed in perfect love and perfect grace. Look at what the Apostle John says about this amazing truth. 1 John 3, 1-2, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. See, God has adopted us into His family, and because we're God's sons and daughters, God has sent us his spirit. And Paul says in this passage that the spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father. The spirit, or this word Abba is an Aramaic word, which was the language that Jesus spoke primarily. And this was a word that was not used, used hardly ever, if at, if at all, for God. It wasn't used in an address to God. And this word was used often in a family relationship, in the context of a close, intimate relationship. Uh, Some have translated it as daddy. That's a decent translation, not completely uh, the idea of what it was, but it's part of the way there. But it it indicates the intimacy of relationship. And what's interesting is in the scriptures, we have one other record of someone using this word in an address to God. And the person that uses that is Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cries out, Abba, Father. And what that indicates is that we have a similar relationship with the Father that Jesus had with the Father. That we are a son or daughter just like Jesus was a son. Romans 8.15, Jesus says it's that we cry out. Here in this passage in Galatians, it says that the Spirit cries out. And I think for Paul, both is true. That the Spirit and our own hearts cry out within us that we're children of God. That we belong to Him. And so no matter what we're facing, no matter what difficulty or circumstances we're in, we can call out to our Heavenly Father with the assurance that we're sons and daughters of the King. And so for Paul, that... Holy Spirit is a guarantee that we'll receive the inheritance, which of course is eternal life with God. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, Paul says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So God adopts us into his family. He gives us his Holy Spirit who is kind of a down payment or a guarantee of what's to come that we will receive the inheritance. The life of with God has started now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can have a relationship with God now which will continue forever. And so we have that assurance inside of us that we're children of God. And if that's the case... The question I think that Paul might have us consider today is, are we living like slaves or are we living like children? Are we living like slaves or are we living like children who have come of age, who have grown up into Christ, so to speak? So what are some signs that we are living as slaves? For slaves, the Bible is a rule book. But for children, the Bible is a life book. For slaves, the Bible is a rule book. For children, the Bible is a life book. Slaves read the Bible or 
avoid the Bible because they feel like every time they're going to read the Bible, they're going to find one more thing that they should or shouldn't do. They see the Bible as just a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so maybe they avoid the Bible or maybe they pick it up here and there, but they really don't want to read the Bible because if they do, they're just going to feel guilty about things they should or shouldn't do. They're always focused on their own performance, their own standing, where they fall in line in comparison to other people. They often do the minimum that they feel is necessary to get by. And it's not only possible to be a slave to the law, but we can also be slaves to our own flesh. That the thing that kind of governs us is kind of what feels right. What seems right in the moment. And we just kind of go along with whatever our appetites tell us we should do. But children, on the other hand, they read the Bible for a different purpose. Not as a rule book, but as something that reveals to us the heart of God. So children read the Bible because when you read the Bible, we get to know what God is like. We love the Father so much that we want to know what pleases the Father, what displeases the Father. Not because we're trying to earn a place in His family, but because of all the things that He's done for us because He's been so good to us. Children seek not just to do the minimum, but give all of themselves to their Heavenly Father. And it's not about following the Bible as a rule book. It's about following the Bible as a life book. It's something that reveals to us the heart of God. Think, think about it this way. My uh, parents have a business where they groom dogs and cats and take care of animals when, they go on, uh, when people go on vacation. And my parents have had many different empl- employees. And they've made up kind of like work orders for them. And there'll be kind of a checklist of things that they have to do with different policies and procedures for taking care of the animals. Now, I've worked there since I was a child. And uh, if they asked me, hey, can you take care of the dogs on a given night? If I was going to do that, I wouldn't go through and find the work order and take out a pen and go through the checklist of the things that I need to do. Because I've been there. I know what they want. I know they want the animals to be taken well care of. So I know that I'm going to water them and take, uh, take them out and feed them. And I'm going to follow the instructions that are for each animal. But I'm not getting out a checklist and going through all those things. I know what my parents want, and so I'm just following what I know to be true. Uh, similarly, uh, a few days ago, I was putting together some kitchen chairs, uh, four kitchen chairs, kind of high-top kitchen chairs. And on the first one, I was kind of follow the, following the instructions and trying to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do. But by the time I got to the last one, I knew exactly what to do, and so I wasn't even really looking at the instructions at all. In a similar way, we're not following the law as something that kind of imposes itself on us, although we have to submit to it. We're following it as a guide for living. We're following it as something that shows us God's heart. That gets to the heart of what's behind the law. Because if you're just following the letter of the law, then it's easy to break the heart of the law. And so we're following the law. We do our best to follow the moral commands of God, not to steal or murder or commit adultery or any of those things. We we don't do those things. But it's not just about not doing those. It's about having a right heart and not doing those. And having God's spirit come inside of us and change us and transform us from the inside out so that our hearts are changed, so that our hearts are pure. 
In the Old Testament, the Jews were given the law and they had to study in detail how the law related to every situation in life. And if you had a question about any situation, almost every question was solved in the Old Testament. I mean, back down to the smallest of details. Yet for those of us who are believers living thousands of years later, we don't have an answer to every single question that we might have. Now, it would be nice uh, in some sense if God had kind of written another Bible for us. You know, if you know, we had a Bible that was related to things that are, weren't available in Paul's day. You know, there wasn't any television or music that you could listen to or the internet. And it might be nice if Paul said, okay, these are websites you avoid. These are websites that are okay. These are TV shows you can watch. These are TV shows you can't watch. This is how much time you should spend each day on these things. And it was clear like that. But God doesn't do that. And I think there's a reason that God doesn't do that. Because he doesn't want us to go through and check the box. He's not about getting us to check box, boxes and think that we're right with him. He wants to transform us from the inside out into people who make the right decisions. Not just because there's an external rule that says you shouldn't do this or that, but because we want to please our Heavenly Father. Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of the famous missionary Jim Elliot who was martyred in Ecuador, said this, It appears that God has deliberately left us in a quandary about many things. Why did he not summarize all the rules in one book, all the basin doctrines in another? He could have eliminated, eliminated the loopholes, prevented all the schisms over morality and false teaching that had plagued his church for 2,000 years. Think of the squabbling and perplexity we should have been spared. And think of the crop of dwarfs he, should, he would have reared. She says, he did not spare us. He wants us to reach maturity. He has so arranged things that if we're to go on beyond the milk diet, we shall be forced to think. So God gives us the spirit that lives inside of us. It allows us to take the scriptures, to apply them to everyday life, and to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Pastor David Prince tells a story uh, about an older child who was adopted from an orphanage in a third world country and was just in a horrific situation. And they, when they brought her home, one of the things that they told her was that they expected her to clean her room every day. And she heard about this responsibility and she began to interpret that command through her past in the orphanage that she lived in. And she just became fixated on cleaning her room. And so she cleaned her room meticulously, spent so much time doing it. Every morning when her parents came into her room, her room was immaculate. And she would sit on the bed and would say, my room is clean. Can I stay here? Do you still love me? Of course, these words broke her new parents' heart. And eventually this girl learned to hear that her parents loved her unconditionally. Whether she cleaned her room or didn't clean her room. And sometimes even when she was going to be punished or disciplined. That was all a part of being a family. It didn't mean that they didn't love her. Love her. Didn't mean that they were going to kick her out. It meant that they cared enough to correct her and discipline her. 
In the same way, we follow Christ. Not because we're afraid of getting kicked out. We follow the, the, the rule of law. We follow what God says in the scriptures. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation. But because our Heavenly Father has been so, so good to us. He's given everything for us. He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. To bring us back into a family, into a relationship with Him. Accepting the gospel means accepting a place in God's family. And so the question I have for us to consider today is, are we living as slaves? Or are we living as children? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for paying the penalty for our sins, for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to live within, inside of us to cry out, Abba, within our hearts. To testify with our spirits that we're your children. We thank you that the Holy Spirit can guide us and lead us into all righteousness. The Holy Spirit can take your word and what you've said to us in the scriptures and apply it to our hearts and start to transform us, not just so that we would follow the letter of the law, but so that we would follow the heart of the law. And that we would have hearts that are pure and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we would live as children. Children who want to please you in everything that we do. Because you've done so much for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.